0: Oh Lord, we are coming loyal your sons. Up, we're going be side by side. We battle all.
1: Kingdom, this is Judley Wheels Rothstein straight from the Tar Heel State of North Carolina coming at you live for our sixth episode of the second season of Hold the Fort. Happy Tuesday to all you mathletes out there celebrating the fact that the date is 2 22 22 and a Tuesday. We will have to wait another 400 years until 2222 22 falls on a Tuesday. I can guarantee you all a few things will still be around in 24-22. In honor of our previous guest, James Cummings, here is a list of the top five things that will still be around Winocchi in 400 years. Number five, most of the Cisco products in the back of our kitchen will not have expired yet and still find their way onto mess hall tables. Number four, Mike Whitley will still be working on the Winocchi waterfront and will still be slightly shorter than the rock that bears his name. Number three, the Spinelli movie theater. In Meredith, will still have that ridiculous introduction before the movie plays, but now the campy futuristic graphics will seem somehow dated. Number two, the creepy old car will still be sitting on the back path on the island, waiting for Frank Guthrie to come back and sit upon it in his birthday suit. And the number one thing that will still be around Wenaki in 400 years, number one, the campers will be arriving in June of 2422 to celebrate the 503rd summer at the greatest camp on earth. Now it's time for me to introduce a man who along with his family helped to make it the greatest place on earth. And I hope in 2422, he and his old man will still be riding on floats in Homa. During Mardi Gras, tossing beads and letting le bon temps rouler, it's time for my man who puts the ph in Fat Tuesday, it's Stuart, Stew Dog Vitter. Doggy, doggy, doggy. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Doggy, doggy, doggy. ruff, ruff, ruff. Doggy? ruff? doggy, doggy,
2: doggy.
1: Doggy? Doggy? Doggy, doggy, doggy. dog. tell me how have you been and give us a little taste of what is to come for y'all with Mardi Gras right around the corner.
2: Oh, I have been fine. Thank you. Um, Mardi Gras started this past weekend. We had parades Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, We will continue this uh, Friday and roll it into uh, Mardi Gras Day Tuesday. Uh, Dad and I will parade Sunday with the crew of Terranians. It'll be our 21st year riding together, his 38th, I believe, overall. Wow.
0: Um,
2: it's just a great time down here. Again, this this past September, late August with the storm, it's been, uh, uh, this past weekend was a great time for the, the town and the parish to uh, get out and have a little fun, uh, along with the fact that we missed out on it last year when it got called off. But uh, things are great. But I tell you, If there's a problem with riding the second weekend is seeing the parades the first weekend and the juices get flowing and uh, you're starting to get excited and anticipating your ride day. But you start to see all the new throws that the riders from the first weekend are throwing. So, of course, you feel like you don't have enough. So you got to go out and get some more. Hmm. And I happened to come across a little place and they were selling beads for a two for one special. So I kind of lucked out and it comes to my attention that might not be the only two for one special that I'll be able to enjoy this week.
1: That is true, Stu Dog. It's a great little kickback to me for our intro to our two guests, and it's fitting that today is Tuesday because we have a legendary twosome for our listeners tonight. This is the first time that we are bringing two guests on at the same time, and I'm too excited. These two characters were defined by the number two, while spanning two decades at Camp Wenaki. Our first guest could almost always be found at the end of senior row. Where all of the bunks started with the number two, he was famous for coaching the twelve and under baseball team and calling for a curveball with two fingers down. He was a master of the barf party and would always bring plenty of two o piece chicken nuggets back to his campers. He even went from just one to just two when he met his lovely wife while working at camp. And StuDog, our second guest, was not afraid to drop a fadeaway two pointer while dominating the basketball courts in the mid 80s and early 90s. He was never too cool to dress up and entertain all of us campers at tribal council for summer after summer. He had two Tar Heels on his feet and represented the University of North Carolina with great pride. He even had two jobs at Wenaki, summer camp counselor, and then off-season recruiter for campers and counselors. These two Wenaki legends both led our two colors, buff and blue, and could be heard t- chanting two bits, four bits, six bits a dollar. All for color war, stand up and holler. Hey. So now it's time to holler at our two amazing guests and bring them on this special episode of Hold the Fort. It's the two and only Butch Gessner and Kyle Lawrence. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Can you give our listeners a rousing rendition of Oogie the Bonga with not two, but three winakis at the end?
3: You ready, <laughs> Kyle? You you do it, Butch. I'll
4: <laughs> I'll, I'll close with the Okay, so it's Oogie
3: the Bonga, Iggy the Piggy Wiggy, Ethel the Depple wepper,
1: Ooh ah, ooh ah. Winocky, There we go. There's the tag team duo that we remember well from the '80s and '90s, Butch. I felt like that was almost like a little Halloween ooh there for you. <laughs> I
4: was just hoping it wasn't too sensual
1: for you. That's right. That's right. Um, I would ask you for your ooh face. So before we get into some questions about your time at Winocchi, can you give everyone an update on what you've been up to and how you've been since your last summer at Winocchi? Uh, Butch, start us off. Love to hear how you've been in the last bunch of years.
4: Yeah, so uh, I finished up in Wienauke in 94, and I've been living in Claremont, New Hampshire, which is about an hour and a half west of Wienauke ever since. I uh, worked in public education at a school district up here in Claremont, New Hampshire, and I just retired in June, and now I'm just doing some ed consulting a couple of days a week and uh, and just hanging out still with Karen. My girls are all grown up. Um, they were at Wienauke for the last three years that I was there. But uh, yeah, things are things are going real, real well up here though. It's uh, super, super cold right now, but other than that, it's been great.
1: And do I see? Um, I feel like you've been doing some uh, a lot of running and some some marathons down at Disney, and winning and getting some uh, some medals and stuff down there.
4: Yeah, so I got into running uh, probably around 2005, and for whatever reason, I just I just started you know liking it. Not that I'm fast or anything, but. Uh, it was a great form of exercise and so I've, I've done just a boatload of half marathons and marathons and a lot of them at disney because we vacation with the kids down there and they they have races several times a year so um in fact i just got done running uh down there this past marathon uh weekend in january so so it's been a lot of fun it has been keeping me in shape which is great
1: now would you say the ipas are is that your is that the the secret to your success with your running
4: is the what the secret?
1: The, 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 your, your love of IPAs. Uh, I would say more UFOs. UFOs <laughs> are probably, uh, keep me going. But yeah, it, it definitely doesn't hurt, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, and Kyle, what about you? Tell us what you've been up to since we last saw you at Wenaki.
4: Well, Judd
3: and Stu, it's great to be with you and thanks for inviting me to do this. And it's great to participate with Butch, um, my old friend and colleague at Wenaki. But um, so my last summer, Judd and Stu was in '93, but I did come to visit Butch in '94 with my girlfriend at the time, Penny, um, who I married in '95. And I went into the insurance career and as a sales executive, and have remained in that field uh, ever since then. Uh, we recently we, we lived in Raleigh, North Carolina until 2019, and then moved to Denver, Colorado, the summer of '19, with their volunteer since. Um. But we also have a daughter who just turned 17 is a junior in high school and uh, excited to get her out of the house and into college soon. Wow. And
1: what's the what, what's the Colorado life been like, you know, vis-a-vis all those years in North Carolina? Do you, do you all love it out there?
3: Oh, we love it. Judd. I mean, it's we, we love the mountains. We love being outside, hiking, uh, exploring the, that area, camping. It's just, it's just a great lifestyle out here.
1: Yeah, you got to probably catch a few like New Hampshire vibes with the you know the mountains kind of compared to the the flat sort of Raleigh life. It must give you some good uh, kind of reminiscent of the of the Winocchi days when you look around out there.
3: Absolutely, it does. Well,
1: that's awesome. Well, yeah, look, Stu and I are so pumped to have you two on. You guys were a huge part of our lives growing up. So we want to just kind of get into some of the Wanaki talk with you. And this first question tends to be something that always. Surprises us because, you know, we knew you uh, when we were kids and when you guys had been already working there. But we're curious about your origin story. So, Kyle, starting with you, how did you end up at Wenaki for your first summer? Tell us the story.
3: Well, great question, Judd. This this man walked into my fraternity house at the time at UNC Chapel Hill, nineteen, probably the spring of nineteen eighty six. Uh, of course, I was Bart Sobel, and. Um, he was talking about this wonderful, super wonderful place <laughs> called Campanaki on uh, uh, Lake Winnemusaki, New Hampshire. And I think I was very intrigued by that. And four of my fraternity brothers and I decided to uh, head up that way for the summer. And uh, that's how we ended up there. Um, but it was all because of Bart and Bart's relationship with UNC as a former professor and him just making the rounds at the various fraternity houses and coming around around talking about positions at Wenaki.
1: If you had to, you know, just estimate where the waistband was at sort of his equator (laughs) at that point in time in eighty sort of that mid-'80s, where where would you say, was it, how many lines of latitude above the equator?
3: You know, it was just approaching the belly button at that time. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd say it definitely started getting, inching up as both Butch and I were there during the various summers, but it was, just below the belly button at the time I met him.
1: Okay. I like to imagine that at a certain point he was just sagging, like just, you know, old school, but, you know.
2: But just like his brother, John.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, amazing. So, yeah, Butch, what about you? Um, what's that story? What got you up there for that first summer?
4: So I was 15 years old. It was 1976, and I was living in New, uh, I was living in New York at the time, going to a school called St. Agnes Cathedral out in Rockville Center. And that's where the Sobels uh, were based out of at the time. I believe Doc and Puff were based out of there. Oh. And they had, a, they had a, uh, a job listing on a school bulletin board for the summer. And a friend of mine who was at the school knew that I was already spending my summers at Lake Sunapee in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So he was like, hey, you might be interested in this. Uh, there's, a, there's a sports camp and, you know, you can be a waiter. That's the position that I was looking for. And uh, so I, I took the information, I called the phone number, and it ended up being John Sobel. Um, John came out to my house, and, um, you know, the rest is history, really, from there. I mean, he showed us some pictures of the camp and stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything else. I was 15 years old at the time, and uh, and John ended up bringing me up. I remember that it was funny, uh, the, the podcast that you guys did with John, um, I, I mentioned it. Um, in a piece there, but I believe he had like a, this Chevy Nova at the time. So my, my friend Carl and myself, John picked us up. I'll never forget. It, it was, you know, mid June, drove us up there and you know, the rest, the rest is history. But uh, that's how I started.
1: Wow. So you know what? That's, I didn't know. Was that normal that there'd be 15 year olds Were you work, you were working on the mainland as a waiter?
4: Yeah. So I, I think what they were do, I mean, they had a lot of their waiters were, um uh, counselors or, or guys that were recruited through BUNEC over from England. Yeah, But then they, they kind of filled out the rest of the staff with basically like high school age kids from all over the place. Huh. And um, uh, a lot of them were from the New York area, I think, because again, that's where Doc and um, Puff were based out of, as well as uh, John. So I don't know how much recruiting, you know, um, John did for all those positions. But I know that, you know, the, the, the four years that I did like waitering and groundskeeping and all that stuff up there we had we had quite a few people from uh, new hampshire and new york and uh, quite a few from jersey as well
1: huh and did you, and, and at that point was everybody living in the in the old waiters shack there near the junior diamond yep
4: wow.
1: everybody
4: was in there
1: wow that's wild you know i didn't i didn't and so you did four i mean Stu, we'll get into this in his next question but so you did four solid years in in those various positions before you even started out on staff then huh
4: right because at that time they wouldn't hire a counselor until they had at least one year in college
2: yeah so it was a year in college or 19 years old
4: yeah so it was funny like when I got to I did 76 77 78 and then I was hoping in 79. To be a counselor because I was going to be starting college that year, and they were like, "No, we want you to get through an entire year." So seventy nine was tough because by then, like everybody knew me up there, yeah. And I was like, I was doing other stuff besides just being a waiter. I mean, they by then they had me involved in a whole lot of other aspects of camp. I wasn't a counselor, living with the kids and stuff, but I was just doing a ton of other stuff up there.
1: Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So let's, yeah, we'll get into some more stuff here with Stu in the second question.
2: Yeah, so much, you know, now knowing the uh, how you got up to camp there and the origin story, when did you know that Wynarchy was going to be such a huge part of your life? Was it a specific moment or feeling uh, either that first summer or even first summer as a counselor? And how did you, upon wanting to return, tailor your life to be able to return summer after summer?
4: Uh, <laughs> that's a great question, Stu. Yeah. Um in regards to knowing that it was going to be a huge part of my life, it was pretty quick. It was, it was pretty immediate. I would say, um, within the first week or so of my first summer there, it was just, it was such a great feeling because if you loved sports, what was, you know, there was no better place to be. And being 15 years old, I was able to play basketball and softball and tennis and soccer with a lot of guys that were older than me, that were very, very accepting of me at that time. And, um, and you know, I got my butt handed to me on on tennis courts and basketball courts and stuff, but man, I learned so much and I, I fell in love with the place immediately. Like I knew I was going to go back immediately, but in regards to having to, to change things, um, things really kind of uh, changed for me probably by it because I started there in 76 was a counselor by 80. I would say by 84 85 I knew that I was gonna have to change my lifestyle in regards to my profession. If I wanted to keep going up there because I was at that point in time. Uh, I was into selling stocks and bonds and mutual funds and I was working for a company called First Investors and everybody that I knew at camp was like, hey, you know, You should look into getting into teaching you can become a business teacher or a computer teacher or something like that if you really want to keep coming back and so i ended up doing that i mean i went back to school and ended up getting another degree so that i could keep going back to winaki because i loved it so much so uh, yeah so that's that's kind of and you know so once i changed professions in 84 85 uh, you know, I, I stayed, I stayed teaching during the summer or during the winter and then, you know, would come to camp as Kyle knows, cause he was up there for also many a pre-camp, uh, you know, we would, we would get up there early even and just basically have a lot of fun, get the place up and ready to roll for the summertime.
2: But you at that time when you got into teaching, were you in New Hampshire or still back in New York? No, I was, in, I was in New Hampshire. I was in New Hampshire by then. I moved
4: to okay. New Hampshire uh, maybe about a year after I came to Monarchi. So I moved to New
1: Hampshire like in '77. Oh, okay. Wow. So could we say maybe uh, your your shift into education saved you from a savings and loan scandal in '87 or a drunk bond uh, trading scandal in the mid '80s? Easily,
4: easily. <laughs> you can thank Wenaki for all of that.
1: <laughs> it could have been, yeah, It would have been ten times worse. Wow.
2: And, and Kyle. When did you know, you know, that camp was gonna become uh, the huge part that it became for you? Well,
3: yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Stu. The, the first summer at 86, and Butch probably remembers this summer too pretty well. It, it was not, it was an odd summer, but you remember it was, it rained a lot. Yeah, We had a lot, we lost a lot of staff during the summer. It just, it it, it was not a necessarily, a, I think pause to go back, Stu, but for somehow i was convinced to go back the following summer i think you guys remember craig justice who was an island counselor he's also a attorney brother of mine yes we we came up for pre-camp that year that was the year of the iu fiji boys and mm. you know as bush just referenced pre-camp we had such a great time and i knew at that moment just just the bond we developed there was, it was just a special place but it was a phenomenal summer in 87 Great group of kids, had a great bunk. And that's what I honestly sold me to do is, is that summer. Uh, um, and then it, I just tried to also try to tailor my life just to kind of make sure I could come back. You know, I was in college at the time, time unlike Butch. Um, I just made sure I didn't have to go to summer school uh, in order to make sure <laughs> I could uh, find a, a path up to Anaki during the, the end of my college life. And then, of course, after college is when I was very fortunate to convince the Sobel's to hire me full time and that enabled me to continue to go up to Winocky for another three or four years. And uh, like Butch said, it just, it's just hard not to fall in love with the place once you kind of have it ingrained in you.
1: So were huh? you were you using uh, James Worthy and MJ's old tutors to make sure you passed your classes back there? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, I took all those fake classes at Carolina Judd. Um, <laughs> back in the day so i made sure that i could get a's and not have to go to
1: summer school oh good well i'm sure you know more about rocks than most rocks, kyle so (laughs) (laughs) and kyle is it is it is it possible and even in 86 you saw you saw a young a young minnow or stud? what bunk were you in in 86
2: 86 would be uh, bunk six with uh, Scott
1: Robinson. All right, so maybe you saw a young pioneer named Stu Vitter who just looked a little bit more athletic than most of the campers you were used to seeing that you figured you had to stick stick around to see what he he could do?
3: He really stood out on the basketball court. I remember that,
1: (laughs) Judd. Yeah, head and shoulders above, literally above the competition, I'm sure. He was, yeah. Amazing. So this is a question for for Kyle, and then we'll throw it to Butch. Uh, You know, you... Both came in, obviously, a little bit even before my time, so there may be some names that I'm not going to really be super familiar with, but I'm just curious about some of your early role models at camp and, you know, what you learned from these people that stuck with you over the years.
3: That's a good question. Um, I, were you coming to me first, yeah. good, I assume? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm not going to reference the people who taught Butch and I all the cool pranks that we ultimately <laughs> did. Those, those were excellent role models. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, just be, to be serious, I, I think a couple really stand out to me I, and, and I developed a lot of really good friendships in my years there when um, but, but two that really come to mind, one being John Sobel, just what a steady calming influence. He always was just truly empathetic. And I think he just, if he needed to talk to somebody. He was always there and he really cared. Um, and the other is Gil Dunn, mm. um, Gil Dunn is a person who I connected with very early on, even in the summer of 86, when I wasn't having the greatest time at camp, but we, we connected there, developed a friendship kind of, he kind of took me under his wing and, um, think helped me not only get through that summer, but just kind of developed me into the role. I ultimately, you know, became a Winocchi even becoming more of a full-time staff member, mm-hmm. but, uh. Gil, someone who really stood out to me.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, Gil, we just, I was talking with Bart about him last night. Um, yeah, I guess it seems, sounds like he went on to have a pretty distinguished career in education um, and uh, over in England and even wrote some books. And he was just such an impressive guy as a kid. I'm sure you must've had a wonderful relationship with him as a, as a young adult.
3: Absolutely, and and one year, one after one summer I went to, to England just to kind of backpack through Europe Uh, for three or four months. And Gil allowed me to kind of stay with him, use his place as a home base. And
1: um,
3: yeah, he he was an outstanding educator.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, Butch, what about you? Uh, Some of those early role models at at camp and what you learned from them that stuck with you over the years, either in in camping or in education or just in life?
4: Yeah, I'm going to echo Kyle immediately on the John Sobel one. Um, I mean, he was the guy that hired me. And then obviously once I got up there, it it was always funny. Like I would be up very very early in the morning just to you know get tables set up in the mess hall and stuff and john's already you know behind the desk in the main office and that light would be on mm-hmm. till you know late at night yeah so and if anybody was uh you know kind of a guy that you knew was was putting the hours and it was john and i really really respected that a lot uh and then right behind him is joe marino mm-hmm. i mean joe was uh he, he was just a guy that always reached out to you wanted to make sure that you know everything was going well that you were okay and uh you know he he was always looking out for everybody and i had a lot of great conversations with joe throughout the year right up until the day that i left in 94. and then um the other guy that is probably a name that none of you guys are going to know but when i I was working in the kitchen the guy who was in charge of the kitchen was a guy by the name of gil pap and he uh he ran that kitchen with a tight fist, man, between the, the cooks and the waitstaff and the dishwashers and everybody. But he was the type of guy where if you worked hard, he respected you. And if you didn't work hard, he was going to kick your butt and, you know, to, to get what he needed to get out of you. And, um, and he, was, he was a guy really, really early on that I um, really liked. And then the other guy, you know, um, is Bart. I mean, once I became a counselor, and especially later on when I was doing, uh, you know, like a shift leader and athletic director up there and stuff like that, I think what again, what I really respected about Bart, as well as with um, Gil and even Mike Whitley, were the morning meetings and just how well organized. Mm that place says i've never like even in my professional life in education 35 years in education i've never seen anybody an admin staff as organized as i've seen at winaki hmm.
0: and i think that's a credit to you know both of the sobels as well as gil over the years and,
4: and mike and, and everybody else that that was there and the effort that they're putting in you it's that's not to say you always agree with everything that they were doing like if they were sticking you up on a ball field and it's pouring rain and you got you know 100 something kids and counselors you're yelling for a rainy day and you're like what am I doing here but 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 the thing is you had to respect that um, everything that they did there was always a reason behind it and and you didn't have to agree with it but I, I just really respected the organization of that place it just blew me away
1: yeah that's awesome I then Stu dog I know you'd you know whenever Joe Marino's name comes up I know you have such fond memories of him in your time when you were young as well right
2: I do. Uh, besides the fact that every Sunday morning, he would come and uh, stir me awake to make sure that I would get ready for church because my mom would be heading over. And he would give mom the, uh, it was always, I think, two New York Times and one Boston Globe that she had to pick up at JoJo's. He would, uh, actually in like Little League, uh, especially for the junior old kids, he was still out there pitching for the Little League games. And um I was fortunate there in 96, I just graduated high school and looking for a job and couldn't be a counselor yet. So Bart and John hired me on to be like an office assistant. And uh, basically what they ended up asking me was to spend uh, every day after cleanups up until afternoon free play to just go around with Joe and help him with uh, the, the sodas and the candy store and this, that and the other. And uh, to just piggyback on Butch there, the conversations and the historical accounts that that Joe you know would tell you was uh probably you know let's say one of the best things that's happened to me there at camp spending that summer with Joe and Bush If I'm not mistaken I could be wrong I think when you said his name Gil Pat I believe he's got a couple placards in the mainland playhouse back from when those times that they uh they did those things and hung them up on the Raptors you're
4: right, Stu. You're very, very right. He does have yeah. a couple of things that are hanging in the, in the playhouse. And, and I don't know, you know, at, at the time in regards to what else he did up there, but I'm, I'm just assuming that it was probably all, you know, kitchen-related or something or mess hall-related. But uh, he was a really, really nice man. Uh, and, again, just just a really uh, a person that you could respect
2: because of, again, the work ethic that he put behind the place. Right. Yeah. And I'd always say the most important, you know, employees at camp are the cooks. Oh, And they've had some good ones over the years, boy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's so so fun to hear a bunch of those names and really appreciate your guys' answers to that. So let's move on now to another segment, which is going to be our Wenaki trivia. We're going to have five questions to see if we can stump our guests. All
2: right, the first question uh, for both of you. What were Doc and Puff's real first names?
4: oh i know that one i know i know Pa's first name but what what what, what's what's what do you got for that one kyle gertrude right and docs was jesse that's correct, that is correct.
1: that's correct
4: right yeah
1: all right one for one all right starting off strong kyle and butch second question can you name three different watering holes for wenaki counselors in the 1980s three establishments <laughs> Frequented like 3, by the Winocchio. <laughs> you,
3: you, you go first, Bush. We know the obvious one. You, you name that one. Well, the mug. Yes. And then probably our favorite one, Bush, that we used to hang out is Jade Island. Ooh. Jade Island uh, is where I got engaged. <laughs> no way.
4: It <laughs> is. Kat- Karen and I got engaged at Jade Island during pre camp. No scorpion bow or?
1: Was <laughs> the ring at the bottom <laughs> or? <laughs>
4: I would go plural on that Stu. And okay. <laughs> one, one more. This one more up. to make three.
3: Club Club ninety eight in the parking lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you guys? Do you guys don't even know what that is? Probably that's that was uh, Bill Goodman's car. He would we would park. You know, some of the senior staff would park behind the maintenance. Uh, area in between where Whitley lived and Joe Marino lived, and uh, we used to go to his car and hang out. Called Club Ninety Eight.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll accept. We'll we'll accept that. We'll, we'll accept that. There was no. Co- there was no co- no cover charge. Hopefully, to get into Club Ninety
3: Eight, there was none. Just free no. Budweiser and lots of uh, uh, weekends and cheese.
1: <laughs> oh, hopefully, easy cheese from a bottle. <laughs> All right. My third question, uh, part one. Kyle is for you.
3: Name the groups on Junior Row. Oh man, um, Minnows, Cubs, Pioneers. Um, I'm gonna miss one. Enters. Come no, not Come com- not Commandos. What am I
2: missing? um uh, the first and second year of high school the frosh and the softs frosh and the sauce okay but you got the rest
4: all right that's right okay. and butch of course name the groups down there on senior row okay so i'm going to give you what i remember when i left there because at, at one point they expanded them i think mm-hmm. yeah um, that's right so it goes i know it starts juniors mm-hmm. yes And then I think after that was a newer one that they put in, which was the Hurricanes, Mm -hmm. then Commandos, uh, Raiders. Mm -hmm. I want to say then there was another one that was a relatively new one before the Seniors, which would be. Oh, boy. I'm going to. I think it's the Giants.
1: You got it. Okay,
4: And then Seniors.
1: Boom. All right.
4: Well, well done.
3: We'll coach. give
1: it, we'll give it to you. We'll give you, so far you have two, two, two and two thirds out of three. All right. You guys can put your heads together for this one. Name five other camps that we would play frequently in either intercamps or uh, tri-state tournaments. Well,
3: Tecumseh is the obvious one.
1: There's one.
4: Uh, Robin Hood. There's two did we play Belknap there's three yep. there were a few up in Maine but I can't remember I can't Wild remember Wildwood, Wildwood. That, yeah there's, That's a good call.
1: there's four there was one oh my
2: God it's 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 in Bristol New Hampshire Taka Takaho. Marco, there you go. That is definitely That's where you go. Job, that's man. where you go for the food. Was, uh, for, that was the good the food time, there. At the that's the cedar uh, camp Samoset. And I'm trying to think of the oh well the one I think the one in Bristol you're thinking of might have been Camp Wakasuda, but I don't think we played <laughs> sports against them per se. We tried. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and uh, finally, um, for both of you. What year was the Sobo Dome built on the mainland? Man,
3: I'm, I am Butch. What you, I mean, I'm going to go with was it 1990?
4: I was going to say either 89 or 90. It's right around that time frame, I think. Maybe, maybe, maybe even as early as 88. Um, L- it's somewhere in that time frame. I
1: think. Ooh, listen, listen to Kyle. You should.
2: Was it 90?
1: It was 90. Was it That's it. Yoda, nice. Yoda, Yoda says, listen to Kyle. That's it. I will right, we'll give it to you. Okay. 8, 89, 90, probably when it was built and when it was uh, debuted. All right. Not too bad, fellas. Not too bad. We'll give you four and two thirds out of five. You're up there with our top leaders uh, in, in history here on Hold the Fort.
2: Sweet. All right, Butch, uh, moving on with the questions. Why do you think that when Arkham counselors form such great bonds uh, that last so long, and uh, what is it about the Winocki Council experience that brings so many guys from so many different places and backgrounds and into such great concert with each other?
4: Um, I, you know, boy, that's a loaded question. There's so many. I think it's just a whole mix of so many things, Stu. It's like you take a magical place in a, on a magical spot on one of the that has just every single field inconceivable that you can play sports on or go swimming in and then you know you mix that with people that obviously love sports love kids and magic happens um i mean i i just don't know it's it's like there's something about the place and and kyle i think would agree it's like and you guys would probably agree it's like the minute it gets its hooks into you it's like a drug I mean, it's it's like you just you just want more of it, and and you can't get away from it. Um, but it just blows my mind, the number of, of people that, and it was it was pretty much summer after summer that, you know, for the most part, got along. I mean, there were some people that obviously we didn't hang out with and everything, and everybody had their own little cliques, but for the most part, man, everybody just enjoyed it. And I think the other thing that always came into play, and Kyle mentioned in one of his earlier answers, too, is the weather i think for the majority of the summers that we were there i mean i, I that i was there we had pretty much good weather there were a couple of, of clunkers in there but when you had good weather man that place was tough to be and kyle yeah
3: i would agree with what butch just said i mean it, it's I mean, it, the, the bonds that we formed especially during the time when we were there which was there earlier than me but just that kind of that 80s I'll just say eighty-seven to ninety-three, ninety-four. There was such a good core group of guys coming back every year, and obviously we all formed a bond because we've been working together for a number of years. Um, but it's just—I it, uh, like what you said. It's just a special place, and I think you just—it's hard not to have great camaraderie because everyone's there for, for the sole purpose of trying to make sure two 300 kids are having the time of their life for for eight weeks um and, and you're you're there amongst that does that same group of counselors for eight weeks or, or 12 weeks if you were a pre-camp um it's just natural that you're going to form some some
2: lifelong friendships especially if you've been working there for a number of summers together i remember dad saying at the end of camp he says amazing how he felt Even though it's only been eight weeks how some of them particularly his waterfront staff it felt like he had known for a lot longer than that by the end of camp
3: oh i agree Stu, and i I would say that one of the toughest things to do at the end of the summer was to leave camp Mm -hmm. which may echo that feel the same way i mean uh, i'm not afraid to say i shed tears a number of summers pulling out of wenaki um just because you were just in this bubble of
2: just away from you know, yeah, some away the, from reality. Away from reality, absolutely. And you know, the other thing during that time frame you speak of, and one of the things that surely makes it, uh, the you know get to a point where you know these people and you become you know so well known with each other is when you have returners. And I remember, you know, I'm trying to think back to somebody like Mike Kates, right? He had done a number of summers at camp. Um, yep. Let's see. Billy had been there a good while. Um, I think when I first started, there was a guy, Ralph Steading, I believe, was his name. Um, Scott Robinson ended up doing a uh, number of summers. Jim York, Sean Robbins, I believe. Yeah, and so that helps
1: Scott Robinson. You know, when you
2: get, yeah, that's right. So when you get that kind of
1: Dennis uh, Bradley, core
2: group of guys that can give you a three, four, five, whatever you know, uh, year run, um, it surely helps out.
4: Absolutely. I I want to also include uh, Dennis Bradley in that mix, too. That's right, Dennis, yes. He was uh, there for a number of summers, and we had a lot of fun with Dennis as well.
1: Yeah, Andy Barrow, a lot of summers in that mix as well. Yeah,
2: Andy Barrow. Yep. John Hannum was still there. Yep.
1: Yeah, in addition to all those admin guys, you know, the Vince McGowan's and Ed Miller's and, you know, Gill's and then, you know. Joe's and Bart's and John's. So yeah, for, I mean, that's the way we, you know from when Stu and I close our eyes and we think about our childhood, like that, like that 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 was our set. Like that was our those were our Mount Rushmores, all all those names you just mentioned. And Stu's right, there was something just beautiful about the continuity of just summer after summer getting off that bus and having Bart come in and read your bunk and you heading down the row and then you see all these familiar faces. It was just, you know, and then the new guys would just gravitate towards the electricity formed with the connections among the older staff. And then boom, they're part of that circuit so quickly. It was just, yeah, you're right. It was just, it's, and the thing that's, the thing that's beautiful just from being there now still is that it is a transcendent experience. And in speaking with Bart last night, he was talking about it. That was a real heyday back when when you all were there like that eighties and early nineties and people, you know, I think, look, there's a little bit of, bias that we have, because that's when we were all there, and we, Stu and I grew up there. But there was something you know truly wonderful about that era at Wenaki. But I can tell you, even this past summer, just like Kyle said, there were the guys shedding tears the last day, the kids not wanting to leave, the counselors from all over the world forming these bonds. And now they have even more, Like think about the social media these counselors have now, they can stay connected in real time the way that it was harder for you all, I'm sure, uh, when you were growing up
4: i mean I, yeah. I would just echo that uh, it's like i've always wondered what would camp have been like if we had access to things like cell phones and you know and we could text and all that other stuff because i remember like in kyle kyle notes this too like you go out on your senior class trip or senior trip or whatever after the parent weekends and stuff and it's like i remember one time we were we were out and we were at hampton beach and it's pouring rain and forget about you know we, like we couldn't be in a campground or anything. We had no cell phones to get a hold. It's, like you were you were just happy if you could find a payphone somewhere, okay. uh, you know, just to make contact with camp to drop you a lifeline or something. Whereas today it's it's so much easier. Um, so yeah, I've always wondered about that piece to it now.
1: Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's a different world in that respect. Like I can remember just you know trying to either getting to Fenway Park or McDonald's uh, on Route Three there and running to a payphone and trying to call my parents collect and just having counselors that were cool enough to let me do it. You know that like, that was our mode of communication. You know it's just yeah. so, it's so different. Well, those are all yeah, those are those are great comments, fellas. And I want to get into another experience that is fairly transcendent, and that's the color war experience. So I'd love to know. You know, you, you both were heavily involved over the years in Color War. Let's start with Kyle, then go to Butch. What were some of your favorite memories of Wenaki breakouts and Wenaki Color Wars from over the years?
3: Well, John, I have one breakout memory um, that. I, I i don't know if i would call it an outstanding memory but it just kind of resonated because of the times we were living in at the time and I think it scared the crap out of all the kids <laughs> is right at the, the the height of the beginning of the first gulf war we for some reason we staged where staff members were having to be called to service and they were leaving on a, a van or a bus and i remember a couple of counselors packing up their stuff and getting in the van to leave and the kids crying I mean we were horrible oh. what we did to the kids <laughs> mentally um, but 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 that's that's one breakout that kind of stands out but the my my highlights are more towards just the color war in general I mean I'm going to bring up a couple of books here that you and I were both involved one with was one with it, it reminds me of when you and I were both on Gil Dunn's team Gil was against Ralph and I uh, know Steve just mentioned Ralph Steading who was a counselor there about the same time and gill and i i mean uh butch and i were assistants to gill and we were getting our asses kicked by ralph's team and then butch and i decided we're gonna start pulling kids out at rest hour and go time them and swim <laughs> and do you remember this so far butch all- I, remember, I remember all of us so we found our ringer i think his thing was brian buckwald right yes it was and so we went out timed him he was not known as a swimmer but we found him and just caught him in at just quick times we plugged him into all the key races we ended up winning the swim that that senior side swim meet um and then gill's team ended up coming back and being Ralph. that was one memory judd and mm. I, I i need to leave some time for bush but the the other is probably the most controversial color war in the history of campanaki <laughs> 1988 um i was against mark bergen uh we came down to song fest mark person was actually in the lead and bush i think you were a judge with mike Cates and billy i was yeah um and we i was the buff leader at the time and we had a killer song fest with it with an hilarious skit and we ended up winning song fest, but also had enough points that we ended up winning color war which shocked everybody um and I, I don't think any team, I, I don't know Judge and Stoop, any other team has gone into Songfest losing and, and won Songfest and ultimately won Color War. So wow. that's a, a huge memory from 88.
1: Yeah, that was one of my many losses in, in Color War. So no, <laughs> no, no thanks to you, but uh, we finally, finally in 1990, Scott Robinson put me over the top with my first, my first. I was 0 for 5 going going into 1990 and finally, finally got uh, one.
2: What were, uh, do you remember the three Songfest songs? I don't remember the Songfest songs,
3: but you know, I, I, had Roger, remember the piano player, Roger Scuppum from England. Yeah, um, he was on, he was an assistant on my team. So we obviously had the talent that he brought from playing piano, but it was the skit and we made fun of the Wenaki tree of values and we called it the Wenaki bush of v- <laughs> bush of values. Um, and just, it just made it a huge parody on staff members, um, and it just, I just remember the place rolling in laughter.
1: Now, was that your one and only, were you a leader just that in the 88 for that one time?
3: No, I was, uh, leader of the blue team, I think 92 against, uh, Andrew Barrow. And who, so I'm proud to say I defeated Andrew Barrow in Color
1: War. Ooh, two and zero. Oh. Wow. <laughs> um, Butch, let's throw it to you for some of your favorite memories of breakouts or Color War
4: uh there's a few um as a breakout i remember one year we broke the kids and the whole thing was a complete fake and but we played like we split the counselors mm. and we actually played like a half day <laughs> we we did it we did like a real schedule for a half day and the whole thing was fake wow and i, I remember like at lunch we were in the mess hall or something and we started playing with the, the clock and everybody knew what the score was based upon the fake half day and we were like oh the score is like well up you know 300 to blue two and people looking at us like what are you talking about like the scores not that far apart and that's like because it's none of it counts and people were just like livid and then we ended up breaking the counselors onto the right teams because even the counselors weren't on the right teams and wow. stuff and oh man that that did not go over well more with the, the counselors than it did with the kids <laughs> um so it's a breakout i remember that um, I, kyle's uh, um story about the swim meet is definitely one that i remember but i'll give you one uh, Um, softball the year I was my first year as a leader I I went one and one as a leader but my first year as a leader we were doing a junior diamond uh, mass softball game and we were down and I was going up against a guy who was coaching by the name of Ken Horner and um, we were losing I couldn't believe we were losing like we just had a a better team but we were just tight and um, they had runners I'll never forget this they had runners at second and third and I called a timeout and I had this kid on a third base. I think his name was Peter Settle. It was my third baseman. And I had another kid up the middle. I think his name was Matt Brookman, if memory serves me correctly. Mm-hmm. And, I told, and I, I'm telling the kids, like, it was like a conversation within a conversation. Like, when I was being loud enough, I was like, just get the out at first base. Let the other runners score. But then, whispering, I was saying to Settle, <laughs> I know the ball's going to be hit to you. I want you to fake the throw to first and we're going to pick off the kid on third <laughs> and, and and then if you have a chance the kid on second because i knew horner was going to like send the runners and it, it, i mean it played to perfection <laughs> like like settle gets the ball he fakes the throw and the kid's halfway down the line and i can see the other team on the other line and they're all their mouths are just wide open And we ended up getting the runner at third, the runner at second. So now they only had a runner at first. Nobody else scored the rest of the inning. We came up. I think we had to score a couple of runs, which we did. Bart came up to me after the game. He goes, man, he goes, that was amazing. He's like, I've seen mass softball games after mass softball games. He goes, I've never seen that. We lost that color war, but I remember that game um, like it was yesterday. And then... um, and I would echo what Kyle said, Songfest, I used to love doing Songfests, mm. um, whether it was the, the Songfest night or even Songfest for color one. Um, Kyle will remember this one, I had one that I wrote for, um, for a regular Songfest that was Don Henley's Heart of the Matter. Mm-hmm. And, and went over so well, we had all the kids sing it at uh, Songfest. And I want to say that was 90, Kyle, or 91? it's 90 or 91 because i remember playing guitar for that song yeah yeah and that that um was a lot of fun and there were some other songs too it was great to write songs for song fest and, and especially watch uh a lot of the women in the audience like if you wrote a really good alma mater mm. if, if i could if i could get them to cry it was like <laughs> that was a win
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> i'm gonna go off on a tangent here judd let's do uh, well uh, Butch is talking about Songfest because I think Butch and I used to be kind of like Lennon and McCartney for Songfest. We'd go off to the mug and write these funny songs, to like "Waco Girl," which was uh, to uh, "Uptown Girl." To Uptown Girl for Billy Joel. Oh,
1: yes. I remember that. I remember that one. <laughs> that's classic. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, Kyle as a as a fellow two and O color War leader, I think our our meeting this year was supposed to be in um, I think the Bahamas. do you think we should invite Butch as a one and one leader to join us, or is it still too soon to invite the one and ones? No,
3: I think we're beyond that, John. I think we can invite the the
1: one in ones. Okay, so Butch, yeah, the two and O club is gonna cordially invite you to come to the Bahamas this year with us to celebrate our undefeated uh, color war reigns as leaders, but hopefully you can join.
4: You let me know, and I'll try to be
1: there. <laughs> oh, that was great. That was, yes, those are some just really, really sensational memories, and I love hearing some of the older ones too. I'd heard Butch like that was kind of legendary. The half day fake out, like for years, was still talked about. So that that one that one stood the test of time for sure. The next segment we have for you both are our rapid fire questions. We're going to ask you five quick, fun questions that have a quick answer. They're all going to be Winocky related. Stu, you start us off.
2: Uh gentlemen, uh, what was your favorite meal
1: at camp? Ooh,
2: wow. steak, and, steak
3: and fries. Didn't we have steak and fries? Yeah, that—that
1: like that yeah, yeah. I think it, Cummings, it, that it was it, his uh, answer, Tuesdays? too. Think, yeah.
4: Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays, okay. I was a waiter,
1: I know, trust me. <laughs> 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 hey,
4: I would, I would I would echo the steak and fries. I also love the uh, the, the roast turkey on Sundays oh yeah. classic
1: classic all right uh, let's go butch then Kyle uh question number two what was the location of the best trip that the Wenaki mainland campers took with you all what was your favorite place to go
4: I didn't catch the beginning of that Judd. I'm sorry oh what was
1: the what was the location of the best trip that the campers went on?
4: Ooh, um I would have to say we we did Hampton Beach one year which was a lot of fun I, that was one of the last years that I was there it, it rained but it was it was a it was, I love the trip yeah so I'd, I'd have to go with Hampton Beach yeah I I always liked the
3: Hanover trip to Dartmouth mm. um that was always fun fun for the staff just to kind of uh I don't know if we're allowed to say this but when we did we the kids in pairs two you know, groups of five and we go have a couple of beers while they moved around town doing all the damage
4: <laughs> totally um
3: but then we go to the water slide place or, or fun spot so
2: the the water park was always pretty fun too
1: yeah love it
2: all uh, right kyle then Bush, what was your favorite view at camp favorite what did you say Stu? view
3: view <sighs> senior row uh walking out about halfway through senior road looking across at the island and you could kind of see the gap in between where the rocks mm. kind of uh, went from the mainland to the to the island and especially at sunset um just the, the the sky was beautiful most nights
2: yeah
4: yeah for me it would be down near the totem pole where the where the benches on the rock mm. And first thing in the morning, before the morning meetings, if that sun was coming up and you got a good sunrise, man, you couldn't beat
1: it. Yeah, yeah, that's just awesome. Um, we mentioned a couple actually just now when we were talking about uh, song fest. But my fourth question, um, Butch and then Kyle, what song always reminds you of Wanaki? Oh,
4: there's pro- for me. There's probably three. Um, don't stop believing, because I, I wrote a parody to that one. Art of the Matter is another one, and then The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics would be the third.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know Marty Millman still he still talks about some of the songs that you wrote. that um, still stuck with him, you know, forty years later. Kyle, what about you?
3: I would say you know I mentioned Waiko Girl that Butch and I wrote together for Songfest, and I think we also did another parody is Don't Know Much by Sam Cooke. That was kind of funny. <laughs> I, I hear that, I hear the words of that any time I hear that song. And then, of course, the Notre Dame fight song. Uh, I think that was the theme song of the Enters every year for like 10, 10 plus years.
4: <laughs> awesome.
2: All right, uh, let's see, question next one. Uh, the favorite Color War event besides the Around the Base Relay, which has been our most popular answer to this question.
0: I'll
3: have to, I'll go with mass softball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's, I had to agree with that too. Um, although, you know, it's not really an event that's, that's happening during color war, but I always thought the naming, you know, when, when the kids found out who their leaders were and they, you know, you're out on, on the the main baseball field, first and third base, and you run to your leader. That's always exciting too. I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. Were you ever a were you both fake out leaders after you had been leaders ever?
3: Never fake out
1: leader.
4: No, I don't think.
1: Yeah, because uh, that was always one of those little ephemeral moments to capture that moment that Kyle is talking about. If you would be released as a fake out leader, and then you know the the kids would then soon realize it was a fake out and then get to the real leader. But that was always a fun fun moment. Our final question. Kyle, this one's going to be a little tougher for you because generally we ask this question and it's based off of the color war leader color. Uh, And Butch, I think I have a, I think I have a, in my own mind, what I think the answer is going to be, but I'm curious what you're going to say. Favorite color, Kyle, buff or blue? Blue. Okay. Was that your, no, that was your, that was your second leader color. Okay. That
3: was, that was my second leader color, yes.
1: And Butch, buff or blue?
2: Yeah, I go, I would go blue as
1: well. Wow. Love it. Um, awesome. All right.
2: I do, uh, real quick, Judd, if I can interject, um, were either of y'all Trouble War leaders? Yes. And, yes. And, Paul, were, an, were you an owl leader? You got it. I was an yeah, Okay. Leader. All right. And, Butch, you were? I was Eagles. Eagles. Okay. Okay, guys, when when Judd and I think back at our time at camp there, especially the mainland in the 80s, We immediately associate Butch with the baseball program down uh, senior row, Kyle with the basketball program. What are some of y'all's lasting memories about coaching baseball and basketball at Wynaki? And and Butch, we'll start with you.
4: Well, the highlight was when um, Billy and and myself got to coach the tri-state championship team. I remember we, we had a great bunch of kids that year. I mean, we had kids that could hit. We had kids that could play D uh we had a pitcher that year i think his name was mike singer if memory serves me correctly and uh i remember we drove up to northern new hampshire it was past plymouth and we went up there for the game and uh we won pretty pretty handily it was tight early on but if i remember correctly we won pretty handily and um the kids that we had were just they were just phenomenal and to see I, I think the thing i remember is a lot of those kids of course kept coming back year after year after year and we kind of had an inkling billy and i that that year we could potentially you know win the thing and it came to fruition which was really really nice but uh that was a great year i think i i can't remember the name i remember uh i think the kid's name and kyle you might remember some of these names uh dave goldsmith i think goldie we used to call him um he was a Great athlete. I think John Weiner was on that team. Um, I'm just trying to. Singer, I think, was the pitcher. But yeah, it was just it was just a
1: lot, a lot of fun uh, winning that tri-state championship. I'll never forget that. Was that 85, Butch? You think?
4: Oh man, I. You know, it's funny. Um, I still have the trophy for that somewhere in my basement, but I couldn't tell you the year. I don't think it was 85, though um i don't for whatever reason i don't think it was 85. uh might have been the year before or after yeah but uh but it's right around that time frame i think you're right though John. It's, it's around that or i believe it's right around that time
3: charles well i think a couple of things to stand out one is just the staff we had back in those days i mean we had some phenomenal basketball players especially the guys from iu um I used to love that Island mainland counselor game. Uh, but really just what stands out in my mind is just feel like Butch saying about coaching the 12 and under team. I mean, we have some really good teams. I think Stu, you were on one of those teams. I I don't know if we actually won the championship, but the 92 team is what stands out in front of, you know, in my mind, the 12 and under team is a phenomenal group of kids. We actually beat the Island 12 and under team that, that summer to win the championship. So, uh,
2: that that's what really stands out in my mind. That's awesome. I that would have been the 95 seniors.
1: Yeah, Maslin and Doniger and um, yeah, there were some there were some real 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 players and athletes on those teams. It's, you know, look, I mean, what I, what I'll say is that it's so interesting, and I and I'm I'm this I'm the same way, Kyle and Butch. It's been 30 or 40 years we're talking since these teams, but isn't it amazing that you can just close your eyes and, and picture, I mean, but you're, you're given play by play of softball games from 30, 40 years ago, but you can remember every vivid detail. There's again, going back to kind of Kyle, your point about the magic that's created at camp, but it, it's not even the creation. It's also imprinted in, in our minds as counselors, but then as kids too, like, you know, like, I can remember like trying out for Butch's 12-and-under baseball team and that being the biggest deal in the world. I can remember that first practice, you know, vividly. And, and we're talking about, at this point, 32 years ago. So, you know, it, it's just such a wonderful thing that is stuck with both you guys. But think about the scores of campers who also close their eyes and remember all of those games and those tournaments too.
3: Well, we'll think about us, John. I mean, we we think of you guys as still being campers I mean (laughs) this is the first time any of us have spoken since I you know since we were in camp um but but you're spot on I mean it's great that that you guys remember us and and um as Butch said you know earlier that camp is such a special place and you just said the same thing Judd that I think just the memories are still very vivid today
4: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah So let's talk about some of the, some, some memories. We'll move from athletics to some more of the, uh, the shenanigans and the tomfoolery. Uh, We talked about some of these characters. There were some absolute, you know, characters at camp during the eighties and nineties. Let's talk about some of maybe your most fun memories some funniest memories. uh, Kyle, starting with you and then Butch.
3: (laughs) Well, Butch and I, I think we'll, we'll agree that uh, we were, king of the pranks at this time during Arwenaki <laughs> days um I, I know there was a, you're right John, there was a, quite a few characters at the time we've already mentioned quite a few you know mike kate sean robbins even before them there's peter gill um who just stands on my mind as being a real prankster um but I, I i have two two memories which i'm sure you remember these because uh we were both involved in them. um Judd one thing that kind of a shenanigans stands out of my mind is um we had a few adult beverages and uh Scott Robinson Robinson and I decided we wanted to take a golf cart to Jojo's <laughs> uh, so we went down and borrowed in quotation marks air quotations puffs golf cart um, Bush decided he was going to be in the lead car he's driving down the main road went Road. All of a sudden, and Scott Robinson and I are in Puff's golf cart, pitch black, you know, just trying to follow Butch as close as we can. Next thing you know, Butch speeds up a little bit and <laughs> peels off the road, and there's a police car. <laughs> so we immediately wheel off the road, ditch the cart. Scott and I are running through the woods, pitch black, no <laughs> flashlights, hitting boulders. Um, and then having the next day of having to try to look at John and Bart pretend like we weren't the ones who, who stole Puff's golf cart. <laughs> uh, it was, it was one thing that stood out in my mind. And then, which I maybe let you tell the story. Uh, but there's another one that's really funny. And Judge, too, you may have actually been there when this happened. But uh, remember the reveille tape? Um, well, one morning it mysteriously changed from the bugle to uh, some odd noises.
1: <laughs> Were they, were they were they some nature nature noises we
4: won't say anything but it really a wow wow. <laughs> yes that's perfect so butch and i had recorded uh-huh. over the bugle over the reveille
3: and happened to put that in the, the tape deck so whomever woke up that morning to play reveille uh to their shock were playing those uh, odd odd sounds
2: well i could i could tell you who it probably was with two words hubba, hubba.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was it Bam bam, check bam bam bam, check a bam bam bam, check a bam bam bam. Wow. That's awesome. Well, what we want to do now for you both is bring up some some recollections, some reflections that some of your old friends and old campers and old administrators wrote about you. So, let's start with some of these pieces Stu Dog start us off.
2: Okay, all the people I met when I was working at Monarchy, Butch is one of my favorites. He has an unbelievable sense of humor that made working with him so much fun. He helped make those early morning meetings that we went to every day in Bart's office a lot more interesting. Butch could always lighten up that early morning atmosphere. Butch and I have had a lot in common and one of those things is music. One year while we were working at camp, the Eagles were playing a date on their Hell Freezes tour down in Foxborough, Massachusetts. We got some tickets and saw one of the best concerts ever. We have kept in touch over the years. I still tell stories about weekends we spent up in New Hampshire when Butch and Karen got married. We also met up a few years ago when Diane, my youngest, Dylan and I took a vacation up to New England. We met up with Butch and Karen in Boston and had a great time. We also share an affinity for Disney. Butch runs in a lot of races in Disney World and we make it there a few times a year. One of the times we get to meet up for a quick meal. He's a good old friend who I'm glad to know. This recollection was written by former Anarchy counselor, Dennis Bradley.
4: That's that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I remember when Dennis came up uh, a few years ago. He was up in Boston, and uh, Karen was thrilled to see him. So was I. And then it was just funny. Like, just a couple of years ago, I was, I was just leaving Disney, and Dennis was coming in, and he knew I was there because I had posted some images on Facebook. He's like, are you still going to be down there? I'm like... I'm getting ready to leave. And he was literally like pulling in when I was, when I was heading out. But um, Dennis and I always had great times throughout the years and uh, love him like a brother. He's just a fantastic guy.
1: That's great. All right, here's the next one. Kyle Lawrence. What were my impressions of him when he first came to camp in 1986? Upper fields guy, basketball and baseball, fellow Tar Heel, popular, positive, perpetual smile. Kyle quickly rose through the counselor ranks becoming a tribal war leader, group leader, shift leader, and color war leader in a short time. I guess you could say Kyle was just a natural leader. His campers loved him. The counselors respected and followed his lead. Soon Kyle was working full time for camp, recruiting counselors and campers. In just a few short years, Kyle became the most important and influential person at Wenaki, whose last name was not Sobel. Along with his best friends, Butch and Billy, he helped make camp a fun place for everyone. And yes, we shared some memorable times in and outside of camp. Late night McDonald's barf parties, late night treks to the docks at Plumfield, jamming and imbibing in Billy's Studio 54, campfires outside the cabin, fun spot followed by scorpion bowls at Jade, and karaoke nights at Stone Hearth. My favorite memory, was that hot summer day we sat in the chilly waters of the Swift River, cooler in tow, moving rocks, and changing the course of history. Kyle Lawrence, I hope you're loving your new life in Colorado. Thanks for all you did to make Wenaki a better place, and thanks for all the fun times and great memories. This recollection was written by all-around great guy and Wenaki counselor from the year 56 BC to the present, Mike Whitley.
3: That's phenomenal. And, um, Whitley is obviously an amazing person. I'm kind of getting choked up. Judges listening to that and just thinking back to, uh, my friendship with Whitley and just some of the fun times I had with him there. Um, he's obviously a legend and to hear this kind comments from him is, is really heartwarming.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. The next one. While it's hard to remember specifics going back close to 35 years, there was something uniquely special and genuine about Kyle and every, everyone from campers to counselors to administration to parents recognized it. Kyle was a true Renaissance Winnocchi legend. He was an athletic mentor for campers, a fun role model for counselors, and a responsible and dependable steward for ownership. Kyle played a pivotal role in cementing my lifelong camp friends with whom I'm still in touch today. For that, I'm forever grateful. He saw something in our bunk, so he kept us together and stayed with us as as our counselor until he couldn't continue on with us to the island. Even then, he looked out for us and handpicked our counselors. Thank you, Kyle, for your impact on me and so many of our Wanaki family. This recollection was written by Wenaki camper from 1989 to 1995,
3: Mikey Goldberg. God, that's a that's a great great kid, a great adult now, I'm sure, but. Uh... That was a phenomenal time, Stu, thanks for that memory. And um, that was an incredible bunk. Um, yeah, I had that that same group of guys uh, for two years in a row. Probably the two best, two of the best summers I ever had with Aki because of that group.
1: Yeah, great, great bunk. And Mikey's now a father of uh, three. Amazing, right?
3: Yeah, that is amazing.
1: All right, here's a final recollection. Both Butch Gessner, and Kyle Lawrence exemplified what it meant to be an amazing counselor at Camp Wenaki. They were absolutely beloved by the campers and highly respected by the staff. They started as rookie bunk counselors, but worked their way up quickly as they showed a real love for Wanaki and the camp experience. It wasn't long before they were both tribal war chiefs, color war leaders, and a huge part of Indian council. Butch and Kyle were part of the backbone of Wenaki for some of the camp's best years in the 1980s and 90s. They ran great trips and could be always counted on. Wiennocky was definitely in their souls. Butch was a great baseball coach, a terrific softball player, and made unbelievable relationships with the campers. He was a great administrator and was a huge part of the senior row experience for kids and counselors. Kyle was such a big part of the Wenaki family, he even started working full-time for Wiennocky and helped recruit campers and counselors. He worked in New York and was my right-hand man. I couldn't have asked for a better sidekick. He was a beacon of light and the cat's meow. He really embodied the Wenaki spirit for years and years. I even saw Kyle one year at the New York Marathon. I'll always remember that. On behalf of the Sobel family, I would like to thank Butch and Kyle for all of their selfless service to Wenaki over the years. Hold the fort. This was written by former Wenaki director and overall great dancer, Bart Sobel.
4: That's awesome. Wow. Well, I just want to say thanks to Bart. (laughs) I mean, so many great memories there. Speaking of dancing, Butch, I remember Bart dancing at your wedding.
2: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, That was was a wild time. It was a great time having everybody there from Winati. It really was. Yeah. Hi, guys. We're moving on, and this is probably my favorite question. Butch, we'll start with you uh what has the Wanaki community and the relationships you made there with former campers and counselors meant to you uh all these years oh wow i don't i don't think
4: you can sum that up pretty quick for me um i uh, I, I looked at i looked at Winocchi as like a second family i mean i really did and um i i had just so many unbelievable experiences there uh and and the greatest really kind of coming towards the end of my career back when um you know i I met karen up there and uh ended up getting married and all these guys kyle and scott and billy and everybody and the sobels all coming to my wedding um you you have no idea how much that meant to both of us at the time and um it's it's just you know i as we've spoken here tonight to bring all this stuff back um it really, it really just touches me. I don't know really what else to say. The one person I do want to thank, though, before we end this thing, more than anybody who I think kind of brought uh, Kyle and me and, and Scott back together a few years ago when we got together up here, and Dennis was Jeff Sobel. Jeff Sobel somehow magic, magically found me on Facebook. And um, you know, we just not that we spoke a lot on there, but we we connected. And then, unfortunately, you know, he delivered the bad news about Joe Marino passing away. Mm. Mm-hmm. But but the, the, the beautiful thing, I think, that came out of it was that here we were now in an age of social media where we could reconnect, and some of the people that I was very, very close with, both campers as well as counselors, I was able to reconnect with, and that would have never happened, I don't think, if it hadn't been for Jeff just somehow magically finding me. So... Um, I'll forever be thankful for that as well as all the years that I spent at Wenauki. Um, it's, it's just, uh, I can't really put it into words. It's, 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 just such a magical place. You know, you try to explain it to other people. You can't do it justice really. I mean, you, you have to live it. You have to experience it, uh, to actually understand, I think what it's all about. Right. Can I just say ditto and conclude? Oh
3: my gosh, that was beautiful, but um, no, I would agree with Jeff. So we just kind of connecting with all of us on Facebook. And he, he has done a great job of, of keeping us kind of staying in touch. And, you know, one thing I will say that I, 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 I do rec- one of the, probably the biggest regrets I have is not staying closer to, but Butch and Dennis and others that were truly my best friends at camp. Um, you know, I, I, I came out of this, Lenocchi having some lifelong friends including one of my best friends of the world Scott Robinson Scott was in my wedding I was in his wedding which you know invited us to his wedding and that's just you know, the camaraderie that existed amongst the staff at that time and you know and Butch and Dennis came to my wedding and you know one of the most fortunate things I had is at Bart referenced that that I was fortunate to go to work for them full time and be able to travel around college campuses recruiting staff for both Wenauki and Robindale and not only did Butch meet his wife at Wenauki I actually recruited my wife to work at Robindale she happened to not take the job but we reconnected a year later remembered each other but if it hadn't been for camp Hmm. uh, I would have never met my wife um but it's just um um, I, I, I'm I'm so glad you guys invited us to do this. It's been so great to reconnect and just thinking of all the fun times Butch and I had together uh, at camp. Just um, probably one of the most amazing parts of my life.
1: Well, thank you, Kyle. Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks, Butch. Stu, I'll I'll throw it to you for some final thoughts.
2: Well, I want to thank both Butch and Kyle for uh, coming on to the podcast and doing this special, you know, uh, two for one that we have uh and just to thank them you know they're on the mainland years I remember telling you know at that time I thought this is what everybody did I didn't I didn't know how fortunate I was but people say you know they've asked you know what was better mainland or island I said it's the most fun I've ever had that summer and then the next year same thing and I want to thank you two both for being a huge part of that there during the uh formal years growing up and being at a faraway land and and making it the most fun I've ever had every summer. Thank you, Stu. And John.
1: Yeah. And look, I mean, I think it's been said a few different times tonight for all of our listeners who even the ones who weren't there during the time where we all overlapped, I think a lot of people are going to gravitate to this episode, just to recapture a little bit of that 1980s and early nineties nostalgia. You know, you two along with the that host of characters played a huge role in our lives just as our mentors and and role models and, and heroes, where we would just die to see who was coming back and couldn't wait to to see you all again. And then Stu and I both had the this the great fortune of being able to come back and work at Wanaki for, for summer after summer and you know it's this idea of just passing it forward and the lessons that you talked about from some of your early mentors, even guys that predate, you know, the, the Stu and me, uh, that then later on, we were able to then do the same thing with some younger counselors and this beautiful chain that connects so many of the Wenaki staff members, uh, you two were an integral part of, and I now find myself working on the mainland and that's my, my, my new home. And I have such a new, after 20 straight years on the island, I have such a new profound respect for the mainland camper experience and how important it is to really get the kids to buy into the magic of Wanaki and just the, the beauty of, of that pure uh, environment on the mainland. So in a way that I probably never even realized how important those formative years were for me on the mainland, now that I'm seeing it through my own son's eyes and the camper's eyes, I truly have a deep appreciation for the the magic you created through all of the Indian councils and through all of the color war breaks and all of the tournaments and just the vibe that you created uh wasn't lost on us. You know, even if we went off and, and turned into teens, et cetera, and went off to the island, it was always that seed that that le- led to this, you know, beautiful Winocky, you know, flower that that bloomed throughout our lives and continues to, you know, to be the the beautiful, you know, Winocchi flower that it is. So that's just a very huge thank you to two big uh, giants in, in our lives. So thank you both so much for coming on. And like Kyle said, it's wild, right? I mean, this is probably the first time that we've spoken in 30 some odd years, but it's like we haven't missed a beat or, or there hasn't been a day that's gone by uh, where we haven't had that connection. So thank you both so much. Thank
4: you. Thank you. Thank
3: you, Judge Stu, very much.
1: All right, Stu Dog. So we'll sign off with the IPJSN theme. da na 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 Na-na-na-na-na-na, So, hold the fort, for we are coming, loyal sons of Wenaki, side by side, we battle onward, on to victory. In the words of former Wenaki camp doctor, Dr. Dre, until the next episode, IP, MP, C-dubs, and hold the fort.